0: Now, I talked about this with you yesterday, and there's your your four team for the college football playoff. The Cincinnati Bearcats are fighting Irish fans this weekend, or no, they're Clemson fans this weekend. If the Fighting Irish win this game, they are pushing themselves into the top three. Clemson will stumble a little bit. The the committee will be, oh, there's no Trevor Lawrence, so we're going to keep him in like the top five, but. This is so far. Clemson has answered every bell that they've needed to against teams that were ranked this year or good this year, but now they don't have Trevor Lawrence to bail them out and they barely beat Boston college. They beat Boston college on a safety. So that being said, the Irish will win this weekend. Smith and Seidel show. I'm Zach Smith. He's Jacob Seidel, and you heard it in the intro there. But I called it. Notre Dame beat Clemson on their home field. What a game! What a game! Welcome into our first NCAA-only show. We're trying to just mix up what we want to do week to week, and uh, we're we're
1: gonna give this one a little bit of a test run. But we started off Clemson Notre Dame. Yeah, and just real quick, no one asked for this, but uh, this is what they're getting.
0: Another one, another one, another one, another one.
1: Okay, we get it. They get another show. (laughs) Welcome, welcome,
0: welcome. Well, uh, a Notre Dame game that was controversial, especially throughout the game, Uh, a game that went to two overtimes where the Fighting Irish were able to win 47-40 against the Trevor Lawrence-less Clemson Tigers. Now, Lawrence was not on the field, but he was on the sidelines. Um, Coach Sweeney said that he's going to let Trevor Lawrence travel.
1: Do you think that he should have been allowed to travel on that game? I don't, th- I don't think so, Zach. I don't think uh, having him travel with you after having COVID-related uh, issues was a smart idea. Uh, it, it really, I think if he was still contagious, it just put a bunch of people at risk. It's going to uh, put all the Notre Dame players that were there at risk. Luckily, we haven't seen any spike in COVID uh, along the two programs, especially of what happened after the game finally ended. Uh, But it's just, I don't think it's responsible to have him there. And I get you want to cheer on your team when you're not there, especially after a real close loss or win, pardon me, against Boston College. And then you go to South Bend at Notre Dame Stadium and uh, play the game close and just ultimately can't pull out with it. I, I digress. <laughs> as I go back, no, no, I don't think he should have been able to be on the sidelines. I, I just don't think it was responsible.
0: I agree completely with you. If you're not letting him play because of COVID reasons, and I mean, that's not the main reason. He cleared all his tests. He was good to go. Um, they were just making sure no side effects came about it to make sure that Trevor could still play this season as well as next year Uh, maybe in the NFL, maybe in a Clemson uniform. Yet again, we'll talk about that a little later. But especially with those circumstances, Trevor Lawrence should not have been there. I don't think he should have been allowed at all. But he wasn't the the main focus COVID-wise to this game. After a great win, which, again, well-deserved by the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, called it. um, The fans went and stormed the field. And I, I don't know... The specific words, rules, regulations that the NCAA set into place, but I know for a fact that that is not acceptable. Uh, all the fans that were allowed into the stadium just store in the field, and I don't think that was right. They were at 14% capacity,
1: 11,000 in attendance. Yeah, I and mean, that's not a good look by Notre Dame. They're lucky. Uh, I don't believe they were fined. They're lucky they didn't have anything else happen. Uh, in that, but to have all those general admission fans that close to both teams, it's just a dangerous precedent to set. Not only that, the uh, marching band isn't even allowed to play on the field, and that's something that's going on all across the country. Uh, Ohio State's band, not even in the stadium. Here at Bowling Green, the band's not allowed on the field for fear of contaminating it. Uh, Notre Dame, same thing. So my question is: How can you justify letting these people run onto the field? Where's security? Where are people saying no? Get off the field! Get off the field! Stay in the stands. Why, why was this even? Why did this even happen? Yeah, I get it's a big win. I get. Oh yeah, we're gonna storm the field. It's a college game. All these students gonna go down and show our guys how much they mean to us. But it just—it's irresponsible. Again. This could have spelled disaster for Notre Dame if they had a rash of players test positive after this. So far, they haven't. Uh, this week, they have a they play uh, Zachary. Who they play again? Uh, for the rest of the
0: year, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Don't have that tough of a schedule. They'll be taking on Boston College this weekend. They have UNC on Chapel Hill uh, the weekend of the 27th, then uh, at Syri- er, at home versus Syracuse, and then at Wake Forest on the 12th of December. So it, it's still a game. And, and to go off your point earlier, the Trevor Lawrence thing, it's irresponsible. And again, Notre Dame versus all times. The last time they beat a number one seed all time was quite a long time ago. And I get the hype of it. You beat Clemson and everything like that. But you have a privilege allowing fans into your stands and allowing students into your stands. Look at all these colleges and even NFL teams around the nation. That and There's NFL teams that don't have fans. There are college teams that are allowing only parents into attendance, like the MAC. And you're going to sit there and be like, oh, well, we can have 11,000 people, including our students and everything like that, into attendance. But now they're going to go rush the field. That's wildly, wildly irresponsible. You hear players calling for it. Wear your mask. Spring athletes, um, at least looking at some of the the Mac teams that I, I follow on Twitter and everything, Mac baseball, Mac volleyball. I know Mac football players that go around and tell people as they're walking around, hey, put your mask on. like. There, there is so much irresponsibility in this game. It was a great game. It was a great win. If you're just looking at the pure stats of this game, uh, Ian Book threw for 310 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Travis Etienne was held to 28 yards on 18 carries and a touchdown. This was a game back and forth. 518 total yards for the Fighting Irish. 473 for Clemson. 22 first downs for both teams. Clemson turned the ball over three times three, and uh, I I don't know how to pronounce his name, Uh, DJ uh, Ugalele, Ugalele, something like that, Uh, the true freshman quarterback, came in and looked really good. He started two games in college, 883 yards, four
1: touchdowns, no picks, and a 90.5 QBR. Yeah, he's looked good. He looked good, especially right after, uh, towards the end of the, third quarter against Boston College uh, when Clemson was able to say, nope, we'll take that lead back. Uh, but And he looked good against Notre Dame, who argu- arguably has one of the better defenses in college football this year. It's just how long can he keep it up and how long can you keep a true freshman as your starter? The one thing I can say the positive for Clemson with having him play now is if or when uh, you see uh, Trevor Lawrence declare for the NFL draft, your quarterback's not coming in blind. He's got a, he's got at least two starts and I think Lawrence has been cleared to play this, well next week because they do not play Eric Clemson has their bye week this week, but all in all, Everything good that happened in that game is overshadowed by the negative connotation.
0: Yeah, DJ Ugalale, you got you really gotta just appreciate what this freshman brings to the table. And on top of that, you he didn't just play no nothing teams. You didn't just send him in there to go play like Akron or your local community college. He went up against at the time the number four team in the country, Notre Dame, who is now number two, and against Boston College. He, good sample size for him. Again, a little bit of a, a negative connotation going into the game. Again, if you got to watch that game, I know I did. It was a fantastically played game against two teams that I guarantee you will find each other again, likely in the ACC championship game, where that time you will have Trevor Lawrence under center uh, pending like an injury or something like that. We hope no injury comes about it. But this, this is going to be a matchup that you see again. And for at least this time around, with Notre Dame winning on their home field. There's a couple of questions that I would have about it, but for the most part, this was the game to watch. We move along from there into some other really big games around college football this weekend. Uh, The other one, Florida at Georgia. Florida coming in number 8 in the country, Georgia number 5. Florida runs away with this game, 44-28, behind four touchdowns by Kyle Trask.
1: Yeah, a great game, great game uh, from both sides. But Florida looking kind of like Urban Myers Florida again, back in the day, they hadn't been relevant for well gee, almost a decade, I guess. Uh, but now they're looking to, they're trying to show Alabama, LSU, hey, we're the cream of the crop in the SEC. And they showed that t- to Georgia this week. And they're a team that they they've, they've bumped up in the AP poll again. I'm not sure when we're going to get the first CFP rankings of the season, uh, but I'm excited to see what comes of this Florida team. I will say, though, I don't think they can compete with a Clemson in Alabama and Ohio State right now. Well, Florida, uh, with the win, is now first
0: in the SEC East. They're 4-1 on the year. They've got a, a good couple of wins under their belt. They beat Miss uh, Ole Miss in Ole Miss to open the season. Uh, they've now beaten Georgia. They've beaten Missouri. Um, The only game that I would really say is a quality win is Tennessee, and then they take on LSU on the 12th of December. But the one loss they have was to Texas A&M, who was 21 in the country when they played them, Texas A&M. Texas A&M currently sits at five in the country right now. So I think Florida is as good as anybody. Kyle Trask is one of my favorite quarterbacks into this draft. Um, and this is a draft that's going to be pretty deep at quarterback. You're looking at guys like Mac Jones out of Alabama. Uh, Kyle Trask from uh, Florida. Obviously, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Ohio State, and Clemson, respectively. Uh, Kellen Mond out of Ole Miss is going to be really good. Sam Ellinger out of Texas. There's a lot of
1: good quarterbacks into this draft. Yeah. I'll- Very, yeah, very deep quarterback drafts as I forgot to unmute myself. Uh, And we haven't seen a quarterback or a draft with this deep of a quarterback pool in years. I don't think I've seen any. I don't think I've seen one where you could take probably a third of these quarterbacks And they could be day one starters in the NFL next year. And
0: and that's not even including uh, Trey Lance, who declared early out of North Dakota State. And I mean, the last quarterback out of North Dakota State that declared for the draft was Carson Wentz, who's kind of had a rocky NFL career, but they're looking to start pumping good quarterbacks out of there. So with with the loss, Florida falls to four and two or Georgia falls to four and two on the year and tumbles a little bit out of the top ten. Um, and again, we'll cover the top 25 here in a minute, but I think this spells the end of Georgia's contention for the college football
1: playoff in the year 2020. I, I think so, too. Georgia, they've looked solid in most of their games, and they, they looked good in this game against Florida for a while, but now who's taking up the slack? It, or who's taking up the slack? They don't have the one guy that they can run their offense through anymore. Yeah, last year it was Jake Fromm, their
0: quarterback, who then went to the draft. But in in a game where you have to win, and you're at home, and you're the five seed, and between two quarterbacks, not one, but two, two quarterbacks, nine for 29, 112 yards, two touchdowns and three interceptions between three quarterbacks, your run game kept you into this game for a little bit. But by halftime, this this game was virtually over. You're looking at a, a 38 to 21 deficit at halftime credit the Georgia defense for holding Florida to six points, but you're, you're not going to be a successful team and George is going to slowly be on the rebuild here. Uh, the bright spot on this offense was Zamir white, seven carries for 107 yards uh, and a touchdown. His long as being a 75 yard gut run up the middle, but th- this Georgia team does not look the same team that almost made it to the college football uh, championship where they almost won. Um, and and that's going to happen when you have a total offensive number of 277 and three turnovers. Florida ran this clock 37-26, 29 first downs. Now, Florida wasn't the only big game this weekend between ranked teams. Uh, The other one being a little bit earlier in the week, BYU taking on Boise State at the time. The Cougars were number nine, Boise State uh, number 21, and BYU, Zach Wilson, is another guy that you and I completely forgot to talk about just a minute ago. Uh, 22-28, to 360 yards, three touchdowns, where the Cougars won 51-17 in
1: Boise. And yeah, BYU is a really good team. and The Cougars, they're, they're kind of like what the Tampa Bay Rays were in the regular season of the MLB uh, this past year. We know they're good, but it's almost like they're sneaky good. I don't know. I'd never expected to see a BYU team Go eight and zero to open the season, and it was it was all BYU in the second and third quarter, and I, they just opened up a gap that was insurmountable, and it was halfway through the game, it was done at the on the blue turf up in Idaho. Uh, BYU looks really good. Wilson, three hundred sixty yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. And this is a team. This is another one of those teams. They're an independent team. So, uh, I but I still wouldn't qualify them as Power Five like we do Notre Dame. Um, they've they've got a chance to make a run for the CFP. And and the other stat
0: that's really crazy about this, and I want to get your initial reaction for it. You know the phrase in football. Typically, the team that has the ball longer is the team that wins, right? Right. So Boise State held this ball for thirty three minutes and thirteen seconds. BYU held it for 26
1: minutes and 47 seconds and put up 51 points. Efficiency. Offensive efficiency like we haven't seen in a very long time. Uh, offensive, offensive efficiency, which Ohio State would have loved against Rutgers. It, it's, it's insane the numbers this little school in uh, Utah can put up. Uh, put up. Yeah, the Cougars, mainly Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson's
0: putting himself into a prime position to be one of these starting quarterbacks in the first round of this year's draft. And as I said, and as you've said, this is a deep, deep quarterback class, and one that we probably haven't seen since the year Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Rosen, and Darnold entered the league. It's been been a little bit. And everybody talks about these big historic draft classes, the uh, most recent one being the 2004 draft class with uh, Roethlisberger, Philip Rivers, and uh, Eli Manning. But you, you sit here and you look at this draft class alone, and I mean, I get it, it's a shortened season for a lot
1: of these guys, but holy cow, do these guys look good. Yeah, they really do. Uh, it, it's just insane that right now, even though he's only played three games and he'll only play three games going into next week. Yeah, Justin Fields looks like the most explosive quarterback in my eyes. You see what he's been able to do all season. Uh, He's completed over 80% of his passes, I believe. His receivers can bend physics to score (laughs) touchdowns in the back of the end zone. And even when the offense slowly starts or isn't able to move as quickly, he can get it back up and running. And really, you're seeing a bit of the same thing from Zach Wilson. He's that cornerback that makes his receivers better. He can thread the needle. He can run the ball when he has to. But if he doesn't have to, he won't.
0: Yeah, and and you really got to appreciate guys like Zach Wilson, Justin Fields. Justin Fields has the same amount of incompletions as he does touchdowns, which is insane. Justin Fields is trying to secure himself as the best quarterback in college football, and with Trevor Lawrence not having played the last two weeks, it would have been three weeks. Uh, Ohio State was supposed to play Maryland this week, and that getting postponed due to or getting canceled, excuse me, due to COVID nineteen. But he had three weeks that he could have put himself over the top, and I think he's put himself into solid contention for that Heisman Trophy at the end of the season. We go from Ohio State and talking about Justin Fields to their rivals up north, and this is one that Jacob and I are going to talk a lot about here for a few minutes. Michigan went to Indiana. Now, Indiana has been a surprise team in the college football world this year, Uh, beating Penn State to open the year, rolling over Rutgers, and now Michigan on their path, 38-21 in Indiana to take first place in the Big Ten East, and... A, a great, great game here uh, by Indiana, who was favored to win this game and ended up winning it. Dominated time of possession with just under 39 minutes. Uh, Michigan, two turnovers. And I, I got to say, another guy who's really went and surprised everybody is Michael Penix Jr., quarterback for Indiana.
1: Yeah, he really has. Look, on this season, he's just been amazing. No one expected the Hoosiers. We all know Indiana can be the sleeper team every year, but every year they disappoint. They lost to Eastern Michigan a few years ago, but he's just looked insane. 869 yards, four touchdowns to two interceptions. This is, oh, that is the wrong quarterback. I hit the wrong button. That would make sense. Wrong button. Let's go 750 yards, seven touchdowns, one interception. His QBR is 68.7, so nothing really to write home about. But he's just really taken this Indiana team and made them a competitive team in the Big Ten. This could be the turning point for Indiana football, And we haven't seen an Indiana football team look this good in a very long time. And the thing to point
0: out with that, know that QBR is nothing to write home about, but look at the three teams he's played. Of those three teams, two of them are ranked. Michigan and Penn State. Penn State and Michigan both in Indiana without fans, which is definitely something that's important. But you you look at these teams... And, and Indiana's 3-0. and Nobody expected you to be 3-0. and Michigan, nobody expected you to be 1-2. Michigan has been arguably the biggest disappointment in college football this year. And, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about this later on as well, but is
1: this the end of Harbaugh and Michigan? I think with a loss to Wisconsin this week, it could be the end of Jim Harbaugh's career. His career is going to end one of two ways. He's either going to get canned right after a bad loss to Wisconsin, or he's going to get canned after a thorough dismantling of his defense by the Ohio State Buckeyes. Michigan
0: does not have the easiest of schedules. They are unranked now after that loss. Here's their, the remaining portion of their schedule. Michigan has to go and play Wisconsin in Ann Arbor this weekend, who is number 13 in the country. They have to go to Rutgers, which should be a win. They go and play Penn State in Ann Arbor. They have to play Maryland in Ann Arbor. And then they go to the shoe to take on Ohio State in the greatest rivalry in college football on December the 12th. So Michigan hypothetically should win at least two of these
1: games. Hypothetically, but Rutgers? Uh, we're gonna, I'm going to sc- uh, jump forward a little bit to the Ohio State-Rutgers game. Rutgers is another surprise team. Yeah, they're 1-2. That second loss coming to the Buckeyes, uh, that's, an, that's no indicator of where this Rutgers team is. They kept Ohio State from really getting onto an offensive rhythm until the second quarter. They looked, they've looked good. They beat Michigan State. Michigan State beat Michigan. If, if you go by the transitive property, Rutgers should beat Michigan. I'm gonna I'm gonna call that right now. Rutgers is going to beat Michigan. I don't think Michigan comes into the shoe with anything close to a 500 record.
0: It, it's gonna be tough and looking at the Ohio State game, Ohio State now number three in the nation, did not move from their spot last year or last week, excuse me dismantled Rutgers and you mentioned that it was a matter of not really getting into a rhythm uh, 49 to 27 was the final score of the Ohio State Rutgers game Justin Fields continues his dominance 24-28 314 and five touchdowns but I, I, I disagree with your take I mean Rutgers definitely is turning a corner and I, I'm gonna definitely give them that beating Michigan State to open the year and losing it to both Indiana and Ohio State those are two games that are okay losses. There are losses that you sit there and you're like, we're we're getting there, but we are not there yet. You have Illinois, Michigan, Purdue, Penn State, and Maryland. If Rutgers is legit, they need to win at least three games to end their season. And it's close in a year like this with COVID-19, where you have no idea what it's going to look like. But Rutgers could be a team to move on. But as I say, I think Michigan is still the biggest disappointment in college football. Um, But can you really call them a disappointment if they've done this every year? I can. And I, I, I will sit here and say that Michigan in years prior has been good. They've been good. I mean, you can always look at Harbaugh's record of the fact that he's never beaten Ohio State in his career as a head coach in Michigan, uh, between Ohio State and Michigan State. He's beaten one of those teams once at home. He's like one in six at home versus Michigan State and Ohio State. So you, you look at it that way. Harbaugh's been a disappointment in that regard. But other than that, he's been really good. And this is the year where everybody... Really thought Michigan was going to be good. This is supposed to be the best team that Harbaugh has
1: ever had to work with in Michigan. Yeah, and you. But you look at what he's done with it. These are his recruits. These are his guys. This is his coaching staff. He doesn't have anyone left over from the uh, uh, Brady choke, Hoke Brady Choke. Ch- not choke. <laughs> that was an Ohio State joke. Uh, who who really couldn't get anything done, there's no excuse for this Michigan team to be this bad. If I'm being perfectly honest, there's no excuse that Michigan should only has one win at home over Ohio State and Michigan State in the last six years. So I I, I made a claim with somebody I talked to a little while back,
0: and I'm I'm (laughs) curious of what your thought is, and then we'll move along away from Michigan here. So Michigan was home to Tom Brady years ago, right? Tom Brady is cl- coming in towards the back end of his NFL career. Whether anybody wants to announce it or not, Tom Brady's coming to the end of his NFL career. He's in his 40s. Um, I I have a theory that Harbaugh will remain in Michigan until Brady retires. Brady will go coach the Michigan Wolverines for a little bit because he'll get the recruiting classes because who's not going to want to come play under Tom Brady? And Michigan will be dominant again.
1: I, I disagree. I, I, I could see uh, I could see it happening where we're going to have Tom Brady back on the Wolverine sideline. but I just where show me you can coach. Recruiting is one thing. You can be a great recruiter and a horrible coach. I agree. And I think that is what Tom Brady would be. I think Tom Brady would be an excellent offensive coordinator. I think he'd be an excellent quarterbacks coach. Success as a player does not equal success as a coach. We've seen it time and time again. Just because you're a great player doesn't make a great coach. That's unfortunately the reality of it. So, th- those
0: are what we would consider the big games from this past week. We move from a team that's fallen out of the top 25 to the top 25, uh, with the latest poll being announced on Sunday after the college football week officially ends, as they say. Uh, so the top 10, well, we, we have the top 11 here, uh, goes in this order from 1 to 11. Alabama, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Clemson, Texas A&M, Florida, Cincinnati, BYU, Miami, Florida, Indi- or Miami, Florida, Indiana at 10, and then Oregon at 11. The reason that we put Oregon on this list is because of the fact Oregon's only played one game as the Pac-12 just came back into session. So my question for you of those rankings, who has the best chance to make it into the top four from the top 10 and who do they replace? So the top four again being Alabama, At one, Notre Dame at two, Ohio State at three, and Clemson at four. Of the remaining teams, I'll include Oregon in this because Oregon just played one game and we're seeing what the Pac-12 has to offer. So realistically, of the top 5 to 11 teams, who has the best chance to make it into the top 25 and who do they replace?
1: So I've got two answers here. The first one is the Aggies of Texas A&M. They've looked good. They faltered a little bit. But they're they're trying to make a little bit of a comeback, and Clemson is, I think, vulnerable at the number four spot. Yeah, they have a lot of games left, but or I mean, part, I meant to say all their games they have left are winnable. But if Alabama or pardon me, Texas A and M can get things done convincingly, and just say a fluke loss happens for the Clemson Tigers, say may, or maybe even a loss in the. ACC championship game, which could be a rematch of of this Notre Dame-Clemson game, I don't see them staying in. My other take, which I think if we were talking about college football playoff rankings would be more plausible, would be the Cincinnati Bearcats. How they dropped in the rankings after putting up a lot of very impressive numbers at home against Houston who a lot of people were saying was a trap game for the Bearcats, confuses me. I, I don't understand. Like Zach and I have had this conversation. How how does this ACC poll, or AP poll work right now? Luke Fickle has done an amazing job recruiting a Power 5 team into the American Conference. He's done a very good job making this team competitive and really just... Trying to stay or staying a little bit out of the shadows of Ohio State in Columbus, the Bearcats are a very good team. They will be in the college football playoff rankings at number five, I believe, when the first ones come out.
0: So, what you're saying is the team that you say is going to fall out of the top four is Notre Dame. And the two teams that you give a strong chance to is A&M and and Cincinnati.
1: Well, I said uh, Clemson right now is the most vulnerable of a loss in the championship game. But what I'm saying is that if we're going by the AP poll, Texas A&M. If we're going by what I believe the college football playoff rankings will indicate, it's going to be Cincinnati. So I'm, I'm going to kind
0: of go into it another direction here. And I'm going to say that the team that's most vulnerable is Notre Dame. Now, you may be wondering why. Now, Clemson just lost double overtime in Notre Dame to Notre Dame without Trevor Lawrence. And even still, this game was close. It was a fantastically played game, as we mentioned earlier. But with, with Trevor Lawrence back, again, we mentioned it when we talked about college football last week before this game. Clemson looked very, very vulnerable to Boston College. Now, if... That was just because there was no Trevor Lawrence. That's fine, but you still are supposed to have one of the better defenses in all of college football. Um, I I really don't think that Notre Dame is going to be anything to watch, to to stick around for the year. And uh, that's nothing to discredit them, discredit their wins, but their defense has been very porous this year. Ian Book has been very turnover prone, and he had a couple of those against Clemson, The inability to score in the red zone has been hurting this team. This Notre Dame team is very good. I will not take that away from them. But who you and I believe will match up again in the ACC championship game is Clemson and Notre Dame. And I don't think that Dabo is going to lose twice to Notre Dame. I don't see it happening. So the team that I see falling out of it is Notre Dame. So leaving the three in there right now being Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson. And I'm going to kind of go a different direction from you. And I think the team that's going to make it in is the Florida Gators. Now, the reason I say that, and we saw this a couple years ago, the committee is very, very confusing because they say that they honor championships as like the Big Ten championship, the ACC championship. They, they're supposed to honor that, but they don't. They're supposed to look at good quality wins, but they don't. And that's really kind of what confuses me as in terms of the college football playoff committee. Um, we saw this a couple years ago with UCF, where UCF went like three seasons undefeated and never even cracked the top five. Now, they're in the same division as Cincinnati. I think that Luke Fickle has done a fantastic job in Cincinnati, and I think Cincinnati is very much so in contention for it, especially if they win out, they win the AAC, and go about their business. But the If you're not a Power 5 school, from what I've witnessed over the past couple of years, the College Football Playoff Committee doesn't really look your way, which which stinks. Because the top four teams are supposed to be the four best teams in the nation. And if Cincinnati being one of the best teams in the nation isn't being considered because of their division, I don't know. You look at the NFL, every team is in contention for the Super Bowl because you're an NFL team. Why can't the same be true in the college football playoff world? That being said, Florida's one loss is to Texas A&M, who is number five in the nation right now. If Florida wins out and makes it to the SEC championship game, of any of the teams right now, I think they have the best chance to upset Bama. I don't see any way Alabama falls out of that with a loss to Florida, as we've seen in years prior with Alabama losing in the SEC championship. They still make it in there for some reason. Um, I like Florida to make it in there with my close second being BYU. I think BYU could be a
1: sneaky surprise this year. Yeah, we're, all, we're on the same page, just different lines, basically, on who we think will make it. That, that I, That's another good pick out there. BYU, I would classify them as a group of five team, even being independent. They've played a very strong schedule. I would love to see a BYU-Cincinnati uh, matchup. I think that would be probably one of the best football games we'd see all season. Uh, But yeah, but here's here's what I think is the difference maker between Cincinnati and UCF. I think this Cincinnati team has more talent than that UCF team did. And it's helped that Luke Fickle has had his name in the Power Five for most of his career. He's, he's a coach that can take, a lot of coaches will take men and make them football players. He takes football players and makes them men. We're, this is going to be the first year we see a group of five school make the college football playoffs. We should have seen it again when UCF claimed their own national title. We'll see how it goes. But, Zach, I'm looking forward to looking back on this in about a month or so and being like, oh, one of us was right the other was wrong.
0: Yeah, and again, I mean I mean, no disrespect towards the college football committee, but it's the same thing you said with the rankings that they bring out. You're supposed to be looking at the strength of schedule, the margin of victory. You're supposed to be honoring conference championships and everything like that. And sometimes the, the conference championship isn't brought into play, and they focus more so on like the two or three big games you played. Um, Look at Alabama in years prior where they've played like the bottom six, seven schools in the SEC. I mean, that are still rebuilding and still building up, but they roll over them. They lose the one huge game to hypothetically speaking, like Georgia or something like that. They beat two other teams that are ranked like uh, in years prior, like Florida and probably like a Missouri or something like that. You beat those two teams and, Alabama is still good in there because of the margin of victory, which is completely okay. But then you've got like an Ohio State or a Cincinnati or something like that that wins their division. They win the Big Ten championship. They have, you know, like one bad loss. But then you completely forget about it. I love college football for that reason, that every game matters. But at the same time, I I think that just you need to relook at what every team brings to the table. And as you said, if Cincinnati is the best team in college football, they
1: should be in the college football playoff. So here, here's a little one for you, Zach. I know we didn't talk about it, but in a potential realignment of college football conferences, which we haven't seen in about a decade, are we going to see Cincinnati move into a Power 5 conference, whether it be the Big Ten, whether it be the ACC, whether it be the Big 12?
0: I, I could see Cincinnati moving into the Power Five range. Uh, the thing is, is that the AAC, the American Athletic Conference, where Cincinnati currently plays, it, it, it's kind of different every year. And there's years where this t- this division is fantastic, and there's there's years where it's not so good. Uh, you look in years prior, Memphis, Houston have both been really good in recent years. Uh, UCF is back on the a little bit of a, a, a rebuild. Tulsa has been relatively consistent. USF. But the the thing that has maintained consistency over the past couple seasons is Cincinnati. And Cincinnati has really given the AAC the, the pizzazz that it's been looking for. Uh, do I think that they could move to the Big Ten or something like that and maybe push like a Northwestern or a Rutgers or something like that into the AAC? Sure. Do I think that'll happen? No, I do not. Um, I I don't see a lot of league realignment happening. Um, Maybe a little bit of movement in the Big 12. I think Cincinnati into the Big 12 would be really, really cool. But I I don't see Cincinnati leaving the AAC for right now. So that's our our top 11 right there. And we kind of mentioned our biggest surprise in there is that Cincinnati didn't go up after a dominating win over Houston, but went down uh, that likely is because of the fact that Florida beat a ranked Georgia team. So, we'll have to move on from there. Uh, Into hashtag Maction. And...
1: Yeah, baby! Yeah!
0: Exactly. (laughs) Two BG students here talking some Maction. And we talked... The last time you and I talked about Mac football was our Mac preview show, which is up on Spotify, Sportscaster, and all of our platforms, if you want to go back and listen into that. But we're two weeks into the season right now, and couple of surprises, couple of them not so much. First of all,
1: this past week, the Western Michigan Broncos and the Toledo Rockets. What a game. What, what a game just all the way through, and it came down to what I think is the best play of the college football season so far. Time running down in the fourth quarter, Western Michigan trailing by three, I believe, and... They're down in the red zone, first in goal. Broncos saying or er, showing a spike. One player leaves the line of scrimmage, a receiver down to the far left, into the end zone. No one even near him. Just a little toss into the corner after a fake spike. And credit to the Western Michigan offensive line. They really sold it was a fake spike. And all no.
0: things considered, this Toledo team, that was a game they should have won. That was a, a game they deserved to win. 500 total yards of offense, 29 first downs, th- just under 39 minutes of total possession, and you lose that game. And it it, it sucks to see and this, this is kind of evidence of like a a uh Atlanta Falcons choke. You know, and you have a 97% chance to win the game and then you don't between a touchdown being scored against you by Western Michigan and then the onside kick. The onside kick is so hard to work with no matter what the sport, college or professional level. But all around really really great game by Western Michigan who now sit 2 and 0 oh in the MAC West. The MAC East also pretty competitive. Uh, the Buffalo Bulls sit at two and zero. My pick to win the MAC East this year, and they are as advertised.
1: Yeah, they've they've looked good. Buffalo just beat up on Miami, uh, Miami University. I will never call them Miami Ohio. Miami University is in Oxford, Ohio. The University of Miami is in Miami, Florida. But uh, forty-two to nothing. At home, and uh, just a, a great, great uh, performance uh, by Kyle Van Treese who on the season, in two games, 528 yards, five touchdowns, one interception, an 83.5 QBR. He's looked really good, and uh, he's got his best receiver, Kevin Marks Jr. He hasn't scored a touchdown yet, but he's... Averaging 6.4 yards a catch and 141 yards on the season. And then you just look at their uh, running back, Antonio Nunn. Jarrett Patterson, too. I I said at the beginning of this
0: year during our Mac preview show, last year Jarrett Patterson had over 2,000 yards from scrimmage. 2,000. So far in two games, 40 carries, 210 yards, and four touchdowns. That's insanity. This is a Buffalo team that, during the year yards rushing so far they average just under 200 yards rushing per game that's insane this buffalo team is primed to make a run and i still sit by this pick that the buffalo bulls will be representing the mac east this year in the mac turn or in the mac championship game up at ford field in detroit and i think buffalo wins it all
1: I still think they have to get through Kent State now to shift gears. Uh, we'll go to the Doit in Bowling Green, where the Falcon our Falcons made it look close in the first quarter, and then a slew of defensive injuries just derailed the Falcons.
0: That that game in the first quarter was fantastic. It was a very very close game. Um, you know, special teams for the Falcons really stepped up strong. Bryson Denley taking the ball on a punt or a kickoff all the way up to like the five yard line, and you come away with a field goal. And so that that game looked really good in the first quarter, tied at 10, and then 28 unanswered points in the second quarter. And the, the offense couldn't really get it going for the Falcons. The defense stifled a little bit. But if you want some bright spots to look at on this team, freshman Terry on Stewart was put in in the fourth quarter. 14 carries, 162 yards, two touchdowns. The freshman from Sandusky, Ohio now leads BG in rushing yards for the year and he's played a quarter.
1: And yeah, he played one quarter of football, and if I've ever said one thing, it's that Bowling Green gets the best running backs in the Mid-American Conference. Going back to my freshman year where we had, uh, I can't remember his first name, but his last name was Cleveland. He could run over anyone. Move on to then Andrew Clare the following year. He's had some injury issues. He didn't play in this game. Bryson Denley, he's more of a dual threat back. You can line him up in the slot. He returns kicks. And now on Stewart. Who it, it was in Bowling Green's backyard? A place where Bowling Green needs to recruit Sandusky. A lot of good football players have come out of there, and I'm just I'm excited to see another big running back and two touchdowns in one quarter of play and a blowout loss where uh, Dustin Crum didn't play after like the third drive of the second quarter. Uh, way to go Falcons you didn't win but get these younger guys a little bit of experience they're not losing eligibility
0: the, the, the freshman class that Scott Leffler has brought in, and that that's the cool thing, is that you were allowing Scott Leffler to build up his recruiting classes and just to bring his guys into BG. We saw it with Matt McDonald being brought over from Boston College. And now, on Stewart, he has single-handedly in one game made himself more worthy of more carries. Especially if what the, ever the injury was to Andrew Clare is significant. Terry on Stewart should be the lead back, and I mean you can make the argument with Denley, but I think you leave Denley as like um, a Jamal Williams in Green Bay type scenario where you put him in in big passing situations and let him make big plays. Terry on Stewart looked really good, but you got to look at some of the big facts from BG's game. Uh, all all is coming from ESPN stats. BG is the first MAC team over the last fifty seasons to lose five straight games by 35 points. They are the first FBS team over the last 15 seasons to lose five straight conference games by 35 points. And they are the fourth team over the last 15 seasons to allow 60 points in consecutive games at home. This is the the biggest flaw on this BG team. You've you've got pieces. You've got flashes on the offensive side. Quinton Morris, Julian Ortega-Jones... Now Terry on Stewart, Price and Denley. Matt McDonald's not all that bad. Uh, he looked a lot better in this game. He needed to just be able to complete and finish drives. But this defense, this defense needs just to put a little bit more oomph into it. They're allowing way too many points per game. Watching the game, there was a lot of cushion being given to receivers not wanting to get beat deep and they still got beat deep. The defense is the biggest question that I have for this Falcons team.
1: And Matt McDonald. Matt McDonald in the quarterback is my biggest uh, question right now Zach I mean through two games he has a 7.6 QBR Seven, 7.6 and I've been on this whole thing where the Falcons haven't had a quarterback start a or start every game in a season since Matt uh, Matt Johnson in 2016 on this season he's 14 of 50 for 233 yards. No touchdowns, two interceptions. He did run one in. Or no. Would, yes, he did run one in. I wasn't sure if that was the one that was called back after a view or not. But he needs no excuses. That You need to be completing more than 14 passes in your first two games. That that has been the biggest issue.
0: And the road doesn't get any easier for him. He has to play against Buffalo this weekend um, on, on Saturday in the Doit. So luckily for him, um, or eleven seventeen. so next week, not this Saturday, um, then you have to go to Athens, to Akron, and then Miami, Ohio. If you don't play well enough against Buffalo this week, not, not, not that you have to go out there and win, but you need to be out there playing really well, you're going to get benched. And that's the way that, unfortunately, it's going to work out for you because the, this coaching staff is going to want to see what these freshmen have to offer. Scott Leffler is going to be able to look and bring in more players that he wants on this team. But not not necessarily that this is a call to Matt McDonald that he needs to you know step up or anything like that. But he, he needs to be playing a little better. The, the, the Falcons have pieces there. But they they got to be able to close out games. When you're only putting up, they put up three points against the Rockets in their opener. And then this past week, 24 points is a lot better. They're a lot better.
1: A lot better. Uh, Scott Leffler, he has said, "Look, I, I know this is not where a lot of you expect it to be, and with a tradition, with this proud of like with this proud of a history, he's rebuilding the right way. He wants to rebuild this team to win Mac titles, and he wants to do it his way. S- the days of Falcon fast football from Mike Jinks and Dino Babers are gone." This is going to be an old-fashioned, gritty-style football, much like we've seen Frank Solich have a lot of success down in Ohio with. And if it means another losing season, so be it. We want, I want to see, when I'm gone from Bowling Green in a few years, I want to come back and see a team that's winning games at home again. In my four years in the Falcon Marching Band, I played beer barrel polka at a football game an exact total of eight times. For those of you that don't know, that's the song the band plays when we win. Eight wins at home in four years is not how you maintain a winning culture. And I think that I think the remaining two home games this year, next week against Buffalo and I forget who this Miami. is it the old, Miami. You may not win those games, but you need to make them close. We may not have fans in the stands besides the band and parents of, parents and friends of the football team and the band. But you need to put out a product that will make people say, this team is going to turn a corner.
0: And again, this is nothing to take away from Kent State. Kent State looked really good in this game. 667 total yards, 32 minutes of total offense. I mean, th- th- this game, as in terms of times, the possession was really good. But up until like that fourth quarter, BG couldn't get a first down. The the offense needs to be able to push the ball down the field. You gotta not allow big plays, and I mean sometimes you can give up big plays. Big plays can happen. Like if if you look at the very beginning of this game, there was a huge pass that was bobbled at the line of scrimmage just a little bit, and it was taken all the way down to uh, I want to say or not I want to say it was it was a great pass for 45 or for like 45 yards so and it was a bobbled catch and and you ended up taking it all the way so I mean there's not a lot you can say about it you bobble it and you go about it and it it happens but but this is a defense that needs to be able to play up a little bit I mean you didn't really have car you didn't have Carl Brooks out on the field a good edge rusher for you and there's only so much that you know your your backfield can do there's not a lot, but you you got to play better and you got to put more emphasis on it. Again, you mentioned this is a team that's going to slowly start getting rebuilt. We just got a four-star corner that's going to be playing next year for us, so it's going to be a lot of fun to watch Bowling Green now 0 2 on the year. Kent State 2 and 0 and partially atop the MAC East with the Buffalo Bulls. Now, just out of curiosity, has there any been has uh, has there been any big surprises to you
1: in the MAC? Or overall, has it been what you've expected? It, my big surprise right now is the Ball State Cardinals. Yeah, they were playing. Um, they are playing Eastern Michigan, who historically has not been the best team in the Mid American Conference. But beating them by seven points on their home field, and they were at five percent capacity. They allowed fans outside of student fan, or a family of players to attend the game, uh, as they have a little laxer regulations in Indiana than they do elsewhere in Michigan, Ohio, and uh New York and Illinois. Um and they're able to do so partially because of uh their quarterback, I believe it's Dylan Plitt, 22 of 31, 232 yards and a touchdown with one interception, but then their running back, Caleb Huntley, in that game 204 rushing yards, averaging six yards a carry on 34 attempts and three rushing touchdowns. Ball State now a 1-1 Eastern, falling at 0-2. Eastern looked like a team starting to turn the corner. Of course, they don't have their quarterback right now, but we'll have to see what happens. Uh, But could Ball State be a team that could come out of nowhere and compete for the West?
0: I don't think so. And the Mac West is kind of tough. Again, that's a game, uh, the Western Michigan-Toledo game, that was a game Toledo should have won. Fake spikes happened. The last time I saw a successful fake spike done was the Steelers-Cowboys game back in 2016. But Toledo's right there. Toledo's not going anywhere. Central Michigan is really good. Western Michigan proved that they're really good. I don't see Ball State really making a push. Eastern Michigan and Northern Illinois are kind of where we expected them to be, um so I'm not I'm not overly surprised by a lot of what I've seen in the MAC that so far this year. Uh BG Akron, Ohio really where I thought they would be. I did not really expect Kent to be 2 and 0. I thought they'd be more 1 and 1 right now, but that that's the big that's the only real surprise I have in the MAC right now.
1: So who's your winner of the MAC West?
0: The win my winner of the MAC West that is is tough and we we talked a little bit about the controversy controversy in central michigan um but i'm i'm gonna still say toledo i'm gonna say that the toledo rockets are able to come back and do this again toledo looked really really good against bg and then they looked good this past um or the other night against western michigan again game they should have won but you look at some of these stats 44 points against them That is the second lowest in the MAC West behind only Central Michigan, who's allowed 37. Toledo, 76.4 and 44 points against.
1: Toledo is my favorite to win the MAC West. I I think Western Michigan in Central Michigan, the winner of that game, will come out to play in the Mid-American Conference title game at Ford Field in Detroit. I think Central Michigan is on upset watch. They're not going to have their Star QB in this game. Do you still
0: like the Buffalo Bulls in the East, or were you the, you, were, you were a Kent State guy?
1: I was a Kent State guy. I think Dustin Crum is the best quarterback in the mid-American conference, and you pair him with one of the top running attacks, and probably the top, one of the top three defenses in the Mac. I think Kent State is going to shock a lot of people, and I don't think they've ever been to the Mac title game. We'll find, I'll figure that out for our next week's episode. But yeah, I think we're going to see Western Michigan and Kent State, the Broncos and the Flashes battling at Ford Field. So we move from that
0: into our big three games of the week in college football. That's right. We took three games of all the ones being played, and we're going to talk about them really quick and kind of answer a question for it. So the number two Notre Dame Fighting Irish will take on the Boston College Eagles. Is Boston College an upset favorite over the Fighting Irish this
1: weekend? I wouldn't say an upset favorite, but I'd say the Irish need to be on upset alert. Notre Dame is good. Central Michigan has looked really good, even if we're just... Or Central Michigan. Pardon me. Wow, got the Mac on the brain today. Uh, Boston College has looked really good uh, we'll have to see what the Eagles can come out and do and see if they can show a little bit of that grit they showed against Clemson, even though they lost. I think if they get up early on Notre Dame and make it hard for Notre Dame, the Eagles could get out of this game in a landslide.
0: Yeah, this, this could be one that's big. And I, I do mean big. And it's it's important to note that Notre Dame is undefeated. Notre Dame is 7-0, and Boston College is 5-3. and But this game is in Boston College. Um, The over-under right now is about um, 50. And the spread is Notre Dame minus 13.5. I like Boston College in this just a little bit. And again, they looked really, really good against Clemson before falling apart. If Boston College can play a complete game, there is no doubt in my mind that they beat the Fighting Irish. Put it in writing, Boston College upset over the Notre Dame Fighting Irish this weekend. Next big game, Eastern Carolina versus the Cincinnati Bearcats, the number seven team in the nation. Is this a game
1: that Cincinnati has to win? It's not just a game Cincinnati has to win. It's a game they need to win by at least 30 points. You know that Luke Fickle is telling his players, you're being disrespected by the AP. You're being disrespected by some members of the media. And you know what football players do when they feel disrespected? They ball out. Cincinnati is going to win this game no matter what, but they need to win in a landslide. The Bearcats, in my opinion, with uh, four of the top five teams in the country not playing, have a chance to sneak up at least to the number six spot, maybe number five, depending on how things wind up.
0: Cincinnati, the over under in that game, 56 and a half. Cincinnati is favored by 28
1: points. 94.3% chance for the Bearcats.
0: This is a game that Cincinnati has to win, not just for the reason of if they don't win, they won't make the college football playoff, which is true but it's a statement game that they have to do. And finally, our third biggest game of the week, and not in any particular order, of course, is the Wisconsin Badgers taking on the Michigan Wolverines up in Ann Arbor this weekend. Number 13 going into this game. This is a Wisconsin team that has not played in two weeks due to COVID-19, taking on the one and two Michigan Wolverines.
1: Yeah, and that's going to hurt Wisconsin more than it's going to hurt Michigan. Uh, they had some COVID issues, practices canceled, games canceled. This team is not going to be to form as Michigan. On the other hand, Michigan has looked horrific this season. They sh- they start off week one getting a nice win against Minnesota, a ranked team. And then they lay an egg on their home field to little brother. And then go to Indiana, and the Hoosiers beat up on them. Hoosiers are a good team. I'll give them that. But Michigan just doesn't look good. Wisconsin, I think, wins this one in by a field goal, but I don't think Wisconsin has any chances of getting to the Big Ten title game with two games being canceled because of COVID.
0: Michigan is 1-1 one one against ranked teams this year. You mentioned the win against Minnesota, in Minnesota, and then the loss at Indiana last year, dating, or last week, dating back to last year, Michigan has won one of their last five games, losing at Ohio State, at Alabama, or uh, at home versus Ohio State, so in Michigan, losing to Alabama in their bowl game, losing at home to Michigan State, and then losing at Indiana. Uh, Wisconsin is a four point, four and a half point favorite. The over-under on this game is 53 and a half. I agree completely. I think that you're going to see Wisconsin come out with a passion, win this game. I give it to Wisconsin by a touchdown. Uh, Michigan is needs to play well, but I think the fact that Wisconsin not having played the last two weeks, not only are they not going to be hurt or anything like that, but you're pretty much going to be able to guarantee that you're going to have some pretty solid game planning in there. Um, But this is a must win for Coach Harbaugh and Michigan, so don't put it past them. But I like Wisconsin in this game. COVID has been a huge story, and we just talked about Wisconsin. But nine games are either canceled or postponed this weekend due to COVID-19. And to pretty notable teams, too, Uh, the Ohio State at Maryland was canceled this week, uh, Alabama at LSU postponed, A&M and at Tennessee postponed, Georgia at Missouri postponed, Auburn at Mississippi State postponed, just to name a few. With all these cancellations and postponements, are college athletics in jeopardy?
1: We don't get political on this show. And I just want to state before I say this, I am not playing the politics game. I am playing the public safety game. covid is on the rise again, especially here in Ohio. It was announced today at Ohio Governor Mike DeWine's press conference that seven thousand new cases in the last twenty-four hours, which is not a good number for the state of Ohio. About eighty-five percent of Ohio's eighty-eight counties are back to level three red. A new mask mandate has been put out, where businesses that are found in violation of it can be shut down for 24 hours. Not just because of the that's not that's one of the reasons college sports is in jeopardy. 9 games canceled or postponed. That's that's outrageous. Not outrageous but just it's it's hard to grasp your mind around. And this is where we need to see these big name athletes coming out and say, you got to wear your mask if you want to see a championship game. I don't think some of these players realize they are one COVID case away from the NCAA pulling the plug. Just like they did when uh, Zach and I were supposed to be at the Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse in Cleveland for the Mid-American Play uh, Conference uh, Tournament. For basketball. For basketball. I was in the arena go down to the press conference, and they called it. We could see in two weeks if things don't get under control again, especially as the weather gets colder. In some of these states allowing more than 10% of capacity into stadiums, like COVID spikes that could just make it impossible to play football. You can't stay six feet apart from uh, people. You, You have to tackle them it's college football is in the most danger it's been in since football itself was almost banned almost a hundred years ago.
0: It, it's really important for everybody just to take care of themselves. And I, I know that in the state of Ohio parties are taken away. Like you're not supposed to gather anything like that. And it, it stinks especially Jacob and I are sitting here as college students and it's not fun, but it's something that needs to happen. This is something that we all can get through together. Um, But I do think college athletics are in jeopardy. And that's why I think you do see athletes and players turning and say, Hey, just wear your mask. We want to play. You want us to play. Let's all work together here. And then, and I think we're going to just leave it at that. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sorry. I got on my soapbox. No, it's it's, (laughs) okay. Say your piece. That moves us into everybody's favorite segment of the Smith and Siddle Subtle Show, overreaction or underreaction. Jacob and I will take turns asking each other a couple of questions, and you either say that it's an overreaction or that you're underreacting to the statement. So I will go first here. With a win this weekend, and as we mentioned, four of the five top five teams in college football will not be playing, either due to a bye or COVID-19. Cincinnati looked poised to make it into the top five after this week. Overreaction or underreaction?
1: I think this is an underreaction. Uh, I don't know how the college football playoff or the AP is going to treat this. uh, If they're going to treat it as a bye week where you don't usually see teams move after not playing in their bye week. Or if they'll look at this like this could potentially derail some more games. If the... AP decides this could derail more games. Absolutely, with a big win against Eastern Carolina, Cincinnati could be in the top five, maybe the top four, if say Ohio State or uh, Alabama has another game canceled next week. P- probably won't happen, but it is a it's it is very possible, and a in fact probable, Cincinnati will be a top five team after this weekend. Zach, underreaction or overreaction? With a loss to the Badgers this weekend, Jim Harbaugh will lose his job. I'm going to say this is an
0: underreaction. Now look, Coach Harbaugh was brought in here to Michigan to win games. You were brought in here to rival Ohio State, who has had your number over the past couple of years. You were brought in to beat Michigan State, your in-state rival. You were brought in to contend not just for the college football playoff, but to contend in the Big Ten. And coach Jim Harbaugh has not done that. You're looking at a guy who has not beaten Ohio State in his entire career as a coach at Michigan. You're looking at a guy who has won once over Michigan State. You're talking about a guy who has not looked all that good. You have lost at home to Michigan State this year, again, and you looked strong coming out this year against Minnesota, but now you just blew an egg against Indiana, who again, looks good this year. Wisconsin has not played in two weeks. You don't know what Wisconsin game you're, or what Wisconsin team you're going to see this week, which is why I give Wisconsin or Michigan a little bit of a pass. But this is a game that Coach Harbaugh needs to win. If Coach Harbaugh is not in contention for the Big Ten come the end of the year, he should be fired, in my opinion overreaction or underreaction. Indiana will represent the Big 10 East in the Big 10 Championship game at the end of this year.
1: This is an overreaction with an asterisk. If Indiana does not have any games canceled due to COVID, they are going to remain in first place in the Big 10 East. The biggest issue with, or the biggest issue for Ohio State with that is this game's not canceled? Is canceled? It's not a forfeiture. In my opinion, this should be a forfeiture. I think any games canceled here on out should be treated as a forfeit, giving the win to the team that didn't ha- want to cancel the game. Now that being said, if both teams have COVID issues, I know that can't happen. But Ohio State, they they could if they wanted they wanted to play, but they can't because Maryland had COVID issues. Indiana has a very hot loft or very easy shot to stay a game a half a game ahead of the buckeyes in the standing. And that could not only keep Ohio State out of the Big 10 championship game. I know they're playing the what was it 6 plus 1? Everyone's playing one more week. I can't remember what it was. But if they keep they not only can they keep Ohio State out of the championship game. If Ohio State sees another game canceled, it could keep them out of the college football playoffs. I, I,
0: I, I'm, I agree on some of your points, but not all of them. I don't think there's any possible way Indiana wins the Big Ten East or represents it in the Big Ten championship unless they beat Ohio State next week. Now, if Ohio State wins next week and then can't play any more games this season, you won't see Indiana do it. And we, we talked a little bit about, you know, the, the the importance of the Ohio State-Indiana game, which goes on next week. But it, it's a big game. I don't think Indiana represents the Big Ten East because I still think Ohio State is the most dangerous team in college football this year. It's not because I'm from Ohio, but it's because I look at the facts of it. And the facts of it are is that Justin Fields looks fantastic. This defense is starting to find its own. Ryan Day is probably the best coach in college football. And the the Big Ten belongs to the Buckeyes unless proven otherwise.
1: Okay, so Zach, will riddle me this, underreaction or overreaction, can BYU make it into the college football playoff if they go undefeated and win their conference championship that doesn't exist because they are an independent? Well... <laughs> I'm sorry, Zach, I had, I had to do it. it it's okay. <laughs> I was putting it together and I got lost in the
0: zone between another team. So... Can BYU make it to the college football playoff? Yes, they can. If they go undefeated, absolutely. But the fact that they are an FBS school and they don't have a conference championship, that's going to hurt. Now, I, I so I'm going to say this is an, o- an overreaction, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain myself a little bit. We talked a little while back about Cincinnati. And I know that Cincinnati's, from the beginning, has been your four-team in the college football playoff this year. And I told you that the way that they're going to get in is they have to go undefeated and win the AAC, but they need help. Notre Dame beating Clemson hurt Cincinnati this week. It hurt them. Florida beating Georgia hurt this team this week, but it was exactly what needed to happen. Georgia needed to fall. Cincinnati has a chance to make it in because they're going to get that AAC championship game. Cincinnati has a solid shot because of the fact that they're in conference. BYU, as much as it's looked good and they have these statement wins, they just rolled Boise State, who was the number 21 team in the nation. BYU has a shot. They're number eight in the country for a reason, but they're going to need significant help. They're going to need significant help. Not only do they need to win all their games with a large margin, but they need to be proving every single week why they are the best team in college football. You won't get in being an average team if you're BYU. So that leads me to this, and it's kind of a two parter overreaction or underreaction. If Clemson loses the ACC championship,
1: which is a little while on, they will not make the college football playoff. This is an underreaction all the way. If Clemson has a second loss on the season, even if it is in a championship game, how can you take them over a team that is undefeated with a conference championship? like Cincinnati, or undefeated with a great schedule, like BYU. I don't see how you can justify having a two-loss Clemson other than like, oh, they didn't have Trevor Lawrence for two games when they had their other loss. That doesn't matter. They still lost. They played well. But what's where's the justification? And that's going to lead
0: me to my flip side of the coin here. If Notre Dame were to win out and lose to Clemson in what you and I assume is going to be the ACC championship game, Notre Dame at Clemson, if Notre Dame were to lose that game after going undefeated the rest of the year, do they have any
1: hope for the college football playoff? I'm going to say this is an underreaction as well because Notre Dame, so I'm going to say like Notre Dame will make the college football playoff if they lose to Clemson. If they stay undefeated, that's a big if Notre Dame has something different this year up their sleeve. And that's that they are temporarily, at least now temporarily, identified with the Atlantic Coast Conference. If their only loss is to Clemson and they split it, I see no reason to not have both. I think both are very good teams and I think both deserve to make the college football playoff if both only have one loss. So I
0: kind of disagree because, as we've seen from the committee, yes, that one big loss to Clemson would be big, and especially if Clemson's being still the four seed at that point in time, assuming that they will. But, again, you asked about justification when it came to, or to Clemson being a two-loss team over Cincinnati, which, I mean, it, it very well could be a possibility, where you sit there at the end of the year, And you've got a two-loss Clemson team and an undefeated Cincinnati team that won their their conference. Can you justify putting that team above there? I'm saying that this is an overreaction. I think if Notre Dame loses to Clemson, that they tumble. And yeah, they're the number two team in the nation right now behind only Alabama. Hypothetically speaking, Alabama, if, if the season were to end today, would be playing Florida in the SEC Championship game. That would be a fun game to watch, especially without... Their great wide receiver who hurt himself earlier this year, Jalen Waddell. But you look at it that way. The Big Ten will be represented in the college football playup this year. Ohio State and Indiana have both been playing way too well to be brought out of it. So I, ex- I expect Ohio State right now in there. So you've got that. And then one of the two ACC teams will be in there. Not both. Not both. I don't think that you can justify putting Notre Dame and Clemson both into that conversation. Now... As I said, I really like Florida this year. I said Texas was my four-team earlier this year. Texas and the Big 12 obviously have not looked all that good. Cincinnati could be that four-team if we really thought and looked at it. But if Notre Dame loses to Clemson in the ACC championship with Trevor Lawrence, I do not see any possible way that Notre Dame is that four-seed going into the college football playoff.
1: And that is going to end our show for the evening, Zach. Great to see you. Uh, hopefully we'll have all technical issues resolved and everything will be back to normal next week. 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 Oh, I'm tired.
0: <laughs> well, do you agree with our picks? Do you not agree with our picks? What do you think of two shows a week? This is something that, I mean, I, I've had, a, had fun just sitting here talking to some college football for a little bit. I think this is something that we can continue doing. But let us know what you think. Find us on Twitter at Smith and Seidel.
1: And find us on Discord by searching Smith and Seidel and Sportscaster.com where Zach and I are planning to do more live streams uh, in the near future.
0: Yeah, do be sure to let us know what your thoughts are so we can put them on air ourselves and talk about your questions and what you're thinking about going into the back end of the college football season as well as the NFL season, NBA draft next week. The MLB season getting ready here soon to start their spring activities. Come the backside of the year. And hockey looking to get going, the masters is going on. Great things to look at in the world of sports. So do let us know what you have to think. Any
1: final thoughts, Zach?
0: My only final thought is COVID is not
1: fun. I agree. Thanks for tuning into the Smith and Seidel Show. The Smith and Seidel Show is produced by Jacob Seidel and Zach Smith, edited by Jacob Seidel. Our intro and outro music is from Bobby Quinn, uh, creative music production. You can find him on fiverr.com by searching Bobby Quincy. He is highly recommended by the Smith and Seidel Show for our fantastic intro and outro music. We'd also like to thank Dylan Hunter, my good friend here at Bowling Green State University, who created the Smith and Seidel logo. So until next week, I'm Jacob Seidel signing off for Zach Smith and reminding you to stay safe, stay healthy, and I Ziggy Zumba.